Hi, this is Richard Edelman, and you're listening to The Trust Makers. Back to Trustmakers. It's Richard Edelman. I'm a CEO of the uh, global communications firm, and I'm joined today by my friend and client, uh, Frank Cooper, who is the uh, global CMO of BlackRock. Um, before this, he was at uh, BuzzFeed and at PepsiCo. So, Frank, let's get right to it. Um, Edelman has just put out the uh, 2022 Trust Barometer, our 22nd version. Um, and the big finding is that uh, business is the most trusted institution. Uh, and that uh, there's big expectation of business to step into issues historically taken by governments, such as climate, race and diversity, reskilling, wage levels. What do you see as the best way for business to play it in the next year? Uh, Richard, first of all, great to be with you and, and always great to have these conversations uh, uh, with you. Uh, look, you know, first of all, congratulations on, on the 22nd year of the Edelman Trust Barometer. It, it's it's a gift. Um, and and as, as I look across those 22 uh, uh, years, um, you see a consistent theme. Um, um, people are, are basically shouting, what about me? And and they're looking at institutions, leaders, uh, um, fellow citizens, and asking that, that same question. And so I think for businesses, this has been building up literally for the past 20 plus years, where people are saying businesses need to re- reflect on why they actually exist. And in my view, um, business exists to improve life. It's a promise of capitalism, right? Mass prosperity. And so um, in many respects, this is a wake up call for businesses to think about not only what they do, but why they do it. And so so what we're seeing across the board and, and, and BlackRock, I think, has played a role in this also. Businesses are now starting to articulate how they make a positive contribution to society and uh, I think that's a great thing uh, overall. It's a great thing because it gets us past the quarterly earnings pressure, which is not going away, um, but it, it gets you into the realm of thinking about the long-term implications of business on society. So that to me is a given. The, the, and, and we can talk more about um, uh, how that comes to life through kind of purpose-driven leadership and purpose-driven talent. But my concern is that there there seems to be almost an excessive reliance on business. Yeah, business definitely should play a role. Um, you know how they operate, um, how companies like BlackRock allocate capital, how um, companies use um, resources, um, the impact that they have on the communities in which they operate. Um, but some of the issues that we're talking about, these large societal issues, cannot be solved completely by business. And so, so businesses have to step up and play their part, which is to look at how their operating model impacts communities in which they operate, how they impact employees, how they, they affect customers uh, and, and allow customers to do things like invest their values or, or purchase in, in, um, in, in consistent with their, with their values. Um, but business can't do it alone. It's not designed to do that. And so if there's anything that I see in, in this year's trust barometer that gives me pause. It's the fact that um, business is the most trusted, which is a great thing, but um, I sense an excessive reliance on on business. I mean, I don't know if you've seen this um, um, before, but this shift, I think government now is number three, it's business and NGOs one and two, and then government number three. Um, We need government 
to step up and fill the void also. So, Frank, I think that the big word uh, I would look at is competence. And when you have a 53-point gap between business and government on competence, um, it explains everything about trust because trust is reliant on action. And action requires uh, institutions that are able to actually do something and not be somehow tied down like Gulliver by uh, all the Lilliputians. And that's really what government is, is at the moment. And so I agree with you that um, there is an excessive reliance on business at the moment, but I see that the mission for business is stability. I don't think it's necessarily leadership because you know business isn't elected, business yeah. isn't appointed. Business is just doing its job. But I just want to ask you, so across all the stakeholder groups, so nearly two-thirds of consumers are belief-driven buyers. Two-thirds of employees say, I'm only going to work for a company whose values are equivalent to mine. And 88% of investors actually now put ESG at the same level as operations and financial uh, performance. So if you're a CEO, how do you play the game uh, in order to make all these stakeholders happy? Yeah, I mean, the, the good news is that um, I, I think consumers and customers in general realize there, there's not necessarily a trade-off anymore. Um, you know, um, there used to be this values action gap that, that would happen. People would have certain values, um, but they wouldn't act accordingly because they didn't want to trade off on returns or trade off on product quality. Um, most don't believe that gap exists anymore. So, so, so that's the good news. Um, if you're a CEO and it's a, it's a tough place to be, right? Because you still have quarterly pressure, but if you're a CEO and you think about how do I, um, have a unifying principle for all these stakeholders, for my customers, for my employees, for the communities in which I operate, for my shareholders, I think you have to find your, your sense of purpose. Why do you exist? And this, and this is not some highfalutin idea about, you know, how do I change the world? It, I don't see it in that way at all. It's, it's how does the business's operating model in some way provide a positive contribution to society. And it could be really simple. It could be if you're Amazon, for example, it could be that you provide convenience and give people back one of the most precious currency, um, you know, that, that's time. Um, it could be the way in which you allocate capital and, 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 and recognize that there's a transition happening. Uh, and, 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 and those percentages that you just uh, referenced, people are now fully aware that, that um, there's this shift happening. Um, I think every business leader has to decide how does my operating model provide some kind of positive contribution uh, uh, to society? The trick, though, Richard, to me, though, is this, is not to get caught up in that, that, um, that never-ending um, abyss of all the societal issues uh, um, that confront us. Um, and the only way I see out of that is to really focus on what can your business actually do that actually so, makes so it Frank, on, on that score, it seems to me that there are sort of the four issues in which business can clearly play a role. So sustainability, uh, wage levels and inequality, um, the retraining matter and race and diversity, uh, because it's within our remit um, uh, to have supply chain um, requirements or to have uh, a, a uh, insistence on, on a continuing improvement, uh, Paris Accords, uh, et cetera, and sustainability. So. BlackRock has really led, Larry Fink, I give great credit to with his annual letters on sustainability. 
what has it meant to your employees? What has it meant to your uh, customers? Um, is it a absolute great thing for everybody or has it been controversial? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I wish it were a great thing for everyone at all times. Um, but look, it, it's Larry uh, and, and BlackRock as a whole has taken the position that uh, climate risk is investment risk. We framed it in, in terms of our fiduciary obligation to clients. Uh, we did not frame it in terms of kind of broad, broad based societal values. We based it in the fiduciary obligation uh, um, uh, to, to, to clients. And, and, and what it's done at, at a baseline was give more people the opportunity to invest their values. If they believe that sustainability is important, if they believe that ESG is important, um, um, you know, they have an opportunity to invest in that. And, and what, I'm, what I'm most excited about is that even during this pandemic, what we've seen, we thought people would lose sight of ESG and, and, and climate action um, during the pandemic, but the opposite has happened. The sustainable uh, funds are the ones that are performing the best. Uh, more investment is going into uh, sustainable funds. And so uh, for us, it's been um, a great opportunity to, number one, provide choice to clients. Um, but number, number two, it has given our employees a sense that we are on the side of, of making a positive contribution. The most remarkable thing is that we've shifted in, in a matter of a couple of years from people talking about whether or not the transition should happen, is it going to happen, into how it happens. And, and and I think that's where we are right now, Richard, in this whole whole progression. It's not so much anymore about you know whether there's a transition to net zero. You can talk about the timing of that, et cetera, but it's how does it happen? And, and I think that's where the challenge is for for all of us is how does that play out? And for me personally, what I, what I think about and spend a lot of time on is thinking about what a just transition looks like. Um, how do you ensure that you include as many people as possible as we start to transition toward a greener economy? And, and the obvious the obvious thing people would say is that, well, those who are least responsible for the current carbon footprint should not be penalized, right? Um, they could be penalized through energy poverty, et cetera. And that is true. So we, you have to look at it through that lens. But you also have to look at it through the lens of those who are in the carbon intensive industries. How do they transition? Because those are livelihoods, those are jobs, those are communities that are in the balance. And so, so, so for, for, for me and, and, and for BlackRock, this idea of the just transition and how we affect that is, is probably the most critical thing. So, Frank, um, Paul Pullman, as he was retiring from Unilever, uh, said that uh, the company, through the Sustainable Living Plan, had done the easy one-third, which is changing the products. Now, the hard two-thirds is still to come, which is evolving consumer behavior, shorter showers, cold water wash, you know, for example, buying strips instead of buying big jugs of uh, detergent or soap, um, and then people put water in at home, and then they don't have the plastic um, to recycle. So what part of marketing budgets do you think over time are going to be devoted to uh, changing consumer attitudes? Wow, that, that that Richard for me is the most is the most difficult challenge of, of, of all um, because what, what you're really saying is is can should and can marketers and brands uh, shift this consumer this consumerism that has kind of dominated uh, um, the mindset of, of people for well over a hundred years, right? Um, you know, if, if you think about what a lot of marketers do, particularly in CPG companies, but most marketers do this. They look for reach or penetration of households. 
and then they look for frequency. They want you to consume more and more and more and more. That's been the logic of, of a lot of marketing. And, and um, how, do, how do we get off of that, that wheel? I, I don't have the answer for that because I think that's one of the most difficult things um, to do because it's not just shifting the behavior first, it's shifting people's mindset. How do you get them to think about what they need uh, how do you think? Uh, how, do, how do you get them to focus on alternative ways of accomplishing the same goals? Uh, and breaking that habit loop, I think, is one of the most difficult things. Having said that, I think marketers have a, a incredible opportunity and a responsibility to address it. You know, we're the ones uh, putting out the messages uh, um, that 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 uh, um, send people down the path of, of consuming. We're the ones who use the mediums and platforms that actually reinforce that. Um, and, and those dollars kind of prop up this whole ecosystem of, of consumerism. But at the same time, you know, even though I know that's the right thing, we have a business to run. Everyone has a business to run and they're looking at growth and, and the demand for growth is, is, is um, incessant. And so how you balance those two things, I think, is the most difficult challenge that we face, uh, face. And I think Paul Pullman has it exactly right. That is the difficult that is the difficult part of this whole equation. Um, but but we can take small steps. And so I think step one is to demonstrate to people that an alternative is as good or better than the current action. Um, you, know, it, you know, using it, the investment lens, if you can show people that investing in in sustainable products and sustainable activities actually generates great returns and becomes a, a key part of, of a portfolio, there's not a, a deep behavioral shift that you have to make. You can plug it right in. It's really the habit loop that's gonna be the more difficult thing, shorter showers, uh, uh, recycling. And um, and I, re I recall at PepsiCo, you know, we, we were looking at um, how can we get people to recycle more? It was a difficult task. You know? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So Frank, one of the striking findings of the 22 trust barometer is that the number one area to increase trust in every institution is information quality. And in fact, the driver of trust is, uh, is information. You can see that a lower income person who's media literate, media attentive has a 10 point higher trust level and a high income person who's media involved uh, has a 14 point jump. So how do you square up the media business model of, in a sense, moving to the extremes in order to generate heat among your readers and therefore more social with the idea of media as authority and media as fact um, source? And what could be done in order to get better information to the people of the world? Well, look, I mean, you know, if you look at the, the trust, as you have, the trust barometer over the years, um, people's trust in large black box institutions continues to decline. And so so to me, the first the first thing to do uh, um, is is to be uh, as clear, simple and truthful as possible. And it's a very difficult thing, right? It, sound, it sounds like a basic idea. Uh, um, 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 however, um, it's difficult because um, our messages have historically, and you know this well as marketers, has been to excite people, to provoke them, to have stopping power. But I think we're in a moment right now where, uh, and, and I think you're exactly right, where people are just looking for, give me the truth in very simple, 
terms, no jargon. And I give an example for 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 us in financial services. Uh, many people are asking about financial literacy or financial inclusion, and it's never worked. It's never worked. All the studies have shown that if you put out financial literacy in the traditional way, it moves behavior by 0.1%. That's it. However, there's clearly a hunger for it. And, and you can see it um, across many celebrities are now jumping into it. Um, you, know, you know, you look at Reddit and subreddit threads on, on, on financial literacy, it's on fire. You look at TikTok and the influencers on TikTok, it's on fire. People are hungry for it. The opportunity that I think we have in business is to reframe how we deliver this information, strip all the jargon out, um, make it simple, um, um, have relatable role models that are presenting it and, and make it um, um, safe to try, you know, so that people have some opportunity to dip into it and experience it without having some severe penalty. We can so I think that's a very interesting uh, path because we see that influence is actually dispersed. It used to be top down and now two thirds of people in this study say our leaders are liars. They're literally telling us fibs in order to get us to do something. And they are therefore uh, unable to um, follow the leader. And so their trust is actually in my employer, 75%, and in my CEO and in scientists and their coworkers. So what does that combination of you know, people I rely on mean to you? So people close to me, yeah. my company and scientists. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, for me, uh, I'll say three things. Number, number one, um, um, I think trust has obviously become more distributed. We see that, um, but it's also become hyper local. And, and, and I think that's why the employer has become one of the most trusted uh, um, institutions uh, out there. It's hyper local. People trust those who are close to them, who have proximity to them. And that can be physical, like geographically, like, like your employer, or it can be digitally in your in your network. So that's number one. But the more foundational piece is this, is that people trust others who um, they believe understand and care for them. So the empathy, who have the competency or capability to do it, to, to do something about it, and then who are authentic. And so I think as more businesses, including BlackRock, we try to follow those three things. Be really consistent about who we are, what we stand for, the authenticity piece, but really understand the people that we're serving and what their needs are, uh, and then deliver. You said something to me, uh, Richard, probably um, six or nine months ago. Um, you say, you said, Frank, if there's one thing that I would advise businesses to do um, more than anything else is to act first, to demonstrate first, and then talk about it. And I, that's where we are. If you if you are demonstrating first, people can see that you are that you do care about them. They can see that you have the competency, and over time, they can see that you are authentic, that you have a consistent way of delivering against it. That's the only way out of it because um, I, I don't think, rightly so, I think many people don't trust the words anymore. Um, they've been used in ways that um, they feel did not benefit them, and so now it's, it's for me, it's more about actions. The, the, the last piece of it is this, is that, so if you look at who people trust and they're not trusting large black box institutions, they're not trusting people who are distant from them, they trust people within their network. What we're trying to do is to communicate to those who are in their network and have them carry the message for us. And, yeah. and so we can't convince everyone, but if we can convince those opinion formers 
And if we can, and not the leaders, <laughs> opinion formers, if we can convince those who are what I would call action leaders, those who are out there doing things and give them enough information, real information, solid information that they can check and let them carry some of those messages for us. That to me is a way to start to reestablish trust. Um, my going on the mountaintop with a, with a, with a, with a bullhorn and, and, and turning up to 10 won't change it. But if those individuals say, I believe that what, what this company is doing is on the right track, or here's an element of what they're doing that's benefiting you, that to me is what resonates now. So Frank, um, I was actually on with the CEO this morning who was saying, you know, my, my PR team gets me nice stories in uh, Business Week and all that, but I'm failing to really communicate to the broad public because it's not classic media anymore. You know, he, he actually told me a story about uh, Kim Kardashian going on Saturday Night Live, which has 10 million people who watch the show. And, and she said something like, well, it's nice to come here with a small audience, but small audience you know, in the live theater, but also small audience of 10 million because her social is probably hundreds of millions. And yes. so I think your point about the change in influence is absolutely correct. And I also think there's sort of a new thesis for media companies, which is, yes, content, but also community and therefore e-commerce. And yes. so that chain of the three C's uh, is a fascinating evolution of dispersion of authority. A hundred percent. And Richard, you know, one of the things that, that I've been thinking about and trying to build, um, we've been building this publishing engine, right? So that we can actually produce content um, ourselves and with, with partners. And, um, and many people, when they first saw it said, oh, this is a, more efficient distribution model. What the way I see it is, is exactly what you just said is that, yes, I think it's a more effective distribution model, but more important, it's an opportunity to start building community because um, you have to have that sense of proximity and, and, and community is that, and you can do it digitally. You can do it through social media. You can do it through your own media properties. You can do it through events. Um, but creating that proximity, I think, is key. And, and that's how I see the content or publishing engine. It's to build community, ultimately. So, Frank, um, a question that um, many of the uh, listeners must be pondering is, how do you deal with the stark partisan divide in the U.S. and in other parts of the world? And there's also a geopolitical aspect to this between the U.S. and China. And uh, there are some like Ray Dalio who say things that are sort of in a sort of pro-China, and then he gets blasted by the anti-China people. So, and I remember your former boss, uh, Indra Nui, uh, had the uh, gay pride flag flying in, in Plano at uh, Frito-Lay, yeah. um, and then was blasted by people in Texas, like, how dare you? And, you know, so here you are, a deeply divided country. You're not going to satisfy everybody. In fact, trust among Republicans in business plummeted this year in the yeah. trust barometer. We saw that, in fact, trust among Republicans is lower than uh, for Democrats in business, a shocker. Um, so what is to be done, sir? <laughs> well, Richard, I'm, I'm gonna turn that back to you and ask you what, what is to be done because um, um, we don't have the answer to that, but there's some steps that we can take that we're trying to take that actually can, um, we think, alleviate the problem, right? So, so. Um, Look, this polarization is not just in the U.S. It's across no. many, many, many parts, many parts of, of the world. Um, and and the culture wars have moved from the classroom to the boardroom. Um, you know, we we see it. Um, the path that we're trying to take, and the path I think is the uh, at least during this period of time, 
is the uh, most effective and maybe the safest to take is to not root it. Whatever position you're taking, whatever uh, stance you have, to try not to root it in social values, root it in the business. You know, so for example, um, you know, whatever position we take, um, we try to relate it back to um, asset value, to risk. And so if, for example, um, you know, we are promoting sustainable investing, we're promoting sustainable investing because we think that that risk of this transition that is happening and, and the data supports it, uh, is not properly priced into the assets of many companies. Um, we, we are we are stating that there's an opportunity uh, for growth in in these sustainable areas. These are it's all about investment for us and, and being a fiduciary uh, to our clients. I think every business um, can look at it through that lens first and foremost. But at some point, some of these issues are so foundational. I think that remaining neutral can be more dangerous than uh, than actually taking a stance. There's some things that are fundamental to even the operation of, of the business, you know, voting rights, for, for, for example, that um, that um, leaders have to take take a stance. And it's still rooted in the business, but in a much more foundational way. I personally err on the side of being more inclusive um, across the board. Any, act, any action, any decision, any solution that actually includes more people, to me, is the right side. Uh, to be on. And and you're going to get back. Frank, you, you'll remember that uh, we did that study a month after the murder of George Floyd, and yeah. you were on a panel, and we showed that there was a 7x benefit in trust from companies and brands that stood up and spoke up rather than put your head down and forget about it. And that tells you everything, that, that, that people want action, um, that there's there's really two aspects of the business now in 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 what we do, which is as you say, the y-axis is the action axis and the communications axis is the x-axis. And if you want to be in the top right corner, you have to do both. You have to do and then communicate. I, I just also wanted to talk briefly about this mass class divide and, uh, you know, hillbilly elegy or all the rest of these books that have come out and yeah. the phenomenon of populism and the sense of, you know, 85% of people now worry that they're going to lose their job to either automation or the pandemic. Um, that uh, in none of the developed countries, none of the developed countries uh, do do people do families feel they'll be better off in five. Do the majority believe they'll be better off in five years? So how do we get to a sense of confidence in capitalism? More than half the people in our study say that they don't believe capitalism works for them. So that's why the mass class divide. The elites are soaring, the mass is flatlined, and we have record divides. So. Where's the solve? <laughs> well, Richard, you're throwing some of the most uh, uh, profound uh, problems my way. Uh, uh, and, and again, I'd love to hear your point of view on this sure. also. But 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 look, I'll give you mine first, and then I want to, I'd love to hear, hear yeah. your point, point of view on it. Um, you know, this question of of inequality and and this mass divide is not new. Um, it pops up periodically. If you look at, it, it, we'll stay with the United States uh, post the Civil War. Um, you, know, you had a period of time uh, where they call they call it, I think, the Gilded uh, Era, or something like that. Yeah, and, Gilded and, uh, Age. Gilded Age, and um, and and you start to see this kind of mass divide again. It's no, it's not sustainable. It's ne it's never been sustainable, and the only way forward, the only thing that's shifted is when you can build a a realistic path to the middle class, 
without that, this whole thing falls apart. But but I think the thing that 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 the stumbling block for some people is that they have a very narrow view of capitalism. They they, they view capitalism as kind of this simple equation of maximize profit within the bounds of the law at all cost. Uh, and um, I think the, the rally cry that we're hearing from virtually every segment of the population across virtually every region of the world is that that's not the kind of capitalism that we think uh, improves life. We think that the capitalism um, over many, many years has been more expansive in, in, in making sure there's a safety net has been more expansive in trying to figure out how to include more people to live up to the promise of mass prosperity. And so what I believe has to happen is that, that uh, government and business have to work together to figure out ways to open up real opportunity for people to progress. And, you know, I know there's a big debate about CEO pay. There's a big debate about whether tech entrepreneurs are getting uh, overpaid. That to me is the wrong issue. Because, um, you know, even if you reduce that by multiples, uh, you know, um, um, if, even if you reduce that, it doesn't solve the core problem, which is what are the pathways forward for people as we start to transition to new ways of making things and consuming things. And um, education to me is, is key. Um, um, uh, um, rethinking uh, retirement schemes is key, you know, as we move from, you know, pension funds to DC, uh, to um, you know, 401k plans, uh, as most people will know it as. Um, um, and and um, training is absolutely key. And so I think those things ha have to happen. Business can be part of that. And the government needs to play a role. Well, I think actually, Frank, the key point you've made is the system has to be seen as working for all. And the issues in front of us, whether the fourth industrial revolution, which is going to make a lot of people's jobs redundant um, because of automation or um, fear of losing jobs because of the pandemic. We have to quell people's fears. They have to see the uh, institutions as operating fairly. Um, but I want to just have a final question. You know, um, the statistic that most shocked me in the 22 trust barometer is 60% of people come into any situation now with distrust. Distrust is the default. Um, yeah. And Two-thirds say that uh, our societies don't allow constructive debate anymore. Um, how can we get back to a place um, where you and I can have a, uh, you know, active, um, animated conversation and not, you know, go to blows uh, and, and go to our respective corners and then go to our media bubbles and then go blog about it or tweet about it and say, Frank's a jerk or Richard's a, a tool. I mean, you know, this hysteria, it seems to me, is really causing us to go into our shells. Yeah, I mean, again, really, really tough question. Um, number one, I think we have to get out of this mode of shame and blame. I've never seen anyone shift their position um, based on shame and blame. Um, you know, where, where um, the ingoing, where the, the, the reaction to whatever position someone has is to shame them. And so, um, so I think that's the first part of it, but the more foundational piece is this. And, and uh, again, I don't know how to reestablish this, but I know this is absolutely necessary for us to move forward. We have to reestablish a sense of reciprocal obligation that we're, that we are in it together uh, and, 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 and that there's more space if we work together. You know, what's remarkable to me is if you look at even the political 
divide today. You have the extremes on the right of the political spectrum and the extreme on the left of of the political spectrum, but the majority of people are in that middle. They're 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 uh, um, center right and center left, um, and um, and they're getting pulled to those extremes. My hope is that the center right and center left recognize each other. They're not very far apart in many in many cases. They have uh, very similar aspirations. And Frank, I, I'll just conclude the uh, discussion by saying that I think it's every institution's obligation to improve the quality of information available to people. I applaud BlackRock for having its own, um, you know, in a sense, content operation. And I think every company should do that because every company should be its own media company. The media is unable to do this at the moment because the disappearance of local newspapers, because the economics are indicating signals that more heat comes when you create uh, controversy. Media's got to get back to authority. Um, But government, NGOs, they all have a role to play along with business in improving information flow. And when my employer newsletter is the most credible information source, it tells you a lot about society. So Frank, you're not only my good buddy, but you're a great uh, person to have discussions with, whether it's over dinner or on a podcast. Um, And uh, thank you so much for spending the time. It's a very important topic of restoring trust in our society. Richard, as always, thanks. I I love our conversations. Uh, Let's continue it over a glass of wine. Got it, man. Thank you very much. See you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning into The Trustmakers, an Edelman podcast in partnership with Advertising Week, where we speak with leaders and other trust builders across institutions. See you next time.